This firm rappers that got me in they crosshairs Trying to straight crucify the boy's presence all year Cheer, this is guts over fear Gun against a box cutter Little cocksuckers swear when I state I'm the greatest round here It must be part of some gimmick to add a spark to my image As if I really give a shit how I look when these bars I'm pinning have always just been the focus, I get it It's been a while since you heard someone is committed I spit without a filter, this cloud I've built up ain't outed Just know I'm down to be tossed in the conversation right now and then Welcome too. to episode 17 of Make Peace Not Beef. Today, we're going to do something wildly different and exciting. We're going to talk about hip hop as a music genre, as a culture, and as an activist movement. We will also be talking about building mental resilience and defining our own artist journey. Our guest today is independent hip hop artist and rapper The Enemy. But I'm going to call him Roderick because that's his real name and no one really calls him The Enemy in real life. That'd be really weird. So Roderick is an exceptionally inspiring friend of mine as a mentor and a big brother figure in my life, because this is someone who not only you can count on for solid life advice, but his positivity, self-motivation and craftsmanship are absolutely infectious. So Roderick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. That was a <laughs> presidential introduction, I have to say. <laughs> I was, that's what I was aiming for. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I felt like I was at a graduation or something. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like the valedictorian. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> Roderick, tell us first of all, where you're from, mm-hmm. how long you've been rapping and how you got into rapping. Okay. So uh, from Toronto, originally born and raised, I got into rapping in high school when I was about 17. So I've been doing it for 19 years now. I would say that I'm underground, but even though on the mainstream level, I haven't had that kind of exposure or whatnot. For me, I just feel like I still was successful at this, doing it my way, you know? So that's always been something that I've always pushed for, to just do it in your own way and not follow what you think may be success or whatever you see in the media or on TV or anything like that. Love it. So you said you started rapping when you were 17. Yeah, yeah. And you've been doing it for 19 years. Yeah. So how do you still look 17 after 19 years? <laughs> I have good jeans, man. <laughs> I have amazing jeans. <laughs> My mom, like she's in her 70s and she looks like she's probably in her 60s or 40s. I, wow. I have amazing wow. So, yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about who the enemy is. So okay. can you explain to the audience, what is the meaning behind your rapper name, D-apostrophe-N-M-E? I don't feel like Toronto is so involved in hip hop from a cultural standpoint because it was born in the Bronx. And when I got into it, I got a lot of resistance from just locally. When I started to get into it, I thought you make a demo or you, you're good at rapping and then you get into it and you're going to get respect. And it was like, nope, that's just not how it happens. I think it's a every man, every woman for himself type of mentality in the local scene in terms of hip hop. I, I don't feel like the culture and the energy is the same as New York in the 90s. Or if you go to Atlanta now, the type of energy that you see, like everybody's always working together and things like that. It's just not here. So for me, when I started out and I was like, man, I'm getting a lot of hate. So I was like, you know what? The enemy is like the perfect name for that. And Wait, I hold was on like, a second. So explain mm-hmm. what the, the contraction is for. D- the, you, the, the apostrophe? So I yeah. spelt it. See, the beginning I was spelling it T-H-E-N-E-M-Y. But then I was like, oh, that's not cool. I was like, this doesn't look good on paper. So then a friend of mine, he spelt it D without the apostrophe. So I was listening to Jay-Z's uh, first album at the time, Reasonable Doubt. There's a record on there called The Evils. And it being one of my favorite tracks, I was like, man, I'm going to use that spelling. That's a cool way to spell it. Yeah, that's sick. So literally you're doing the opposite of Eminem where he spells the name out, like the letters out. I actually wanted you to explain why is it called The Enemy? Like, who are you an enemy to? Coming in, starting out, 
I definitely felt that I got a lot of resistance. So for me, I was like, you know what? I'm the enemy to that. Like people don't like me. It's like, okay, cool. And it was perfect because if somebody openly doesn't like my stuff, yeah. I can be like, you're not supposed to like me. I'm the enemy. And I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> and Brilliant. also too, even in this era, if you look at social media, there's a lot of negativity on the internet and it's oh perfect for a person like me. Cause I'm like, okay, you don't like the enemy. That's all good. I love it. Yeah. This is, it's a brilliant name. And also I just want to congratulate you on recently making it to the billboard in New York. Thank you. Thank you. Thank that you. was amazing. Okay. I'm going to play the footage here <laughs> for everybody. Recently, the enemy was, or Roderick was featured on a billboard in New York, right next to Post Malone. And when I saw that, nice. I was mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how would you characterize the style of your rap and what kind of stories do you tell? So definitely I would consider myself a hardcore rapper. So mm. that is a lot of lyricism, punchlines, wordplay, double entendres, very heavy on multi-syllables. In terms of stories, it just depends where my head is at. If I see something from a friend's standpoint, I might be inspired to write about that. If I saw something in a movie, I might write about that, right? For me, I have a great imagination. Even if I didn't go through it, I can take something really small and expand it like through song. Have you always wanted to be a rapper since you were 17? No, funny enough, I wanted to be a professional wrestler because I grew up watching it. So at you know, the point at 17, I remember basically hitting these crossroads and I said to myself, okay, I really love rap. I love the music. I love the idea of it being poetic. I can express myself. But man, I really love wrestling, right? I can probably find a school because there's a lot of, Canadian wrestlers that really did well. What made me decide on rap was I thought with wrestling, you're playing a character. It's hard to get out of that if you've built a career as this one character. I decided against wrestling because I just felt like rap for me was more your personality. It, was, it yeah. felt more authentic to authentic. me, you know? Yeah. As your friend and also someone who listens to your music, I definitely see a huge difference between your real life persona because your rap persona is very like aggressive, braggadocious. Mm-hmm. You're like, I am the enemy. I am untouchable. But then in real life, yeah. you're like the approachable Roderick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, oh, Absolutely. I feel like most people might not know that because when they yeah. listen to me, they're like, holy shit, like this guy, I yeah. better like <laughs> stay three miles away from him. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I just think that contrast is really cool. See, it's funny you said that because I've had other people say that. And I never understood it at first because when I go into the studio, I don't turn on a personality. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I don't try to be something I'm not. And I remember asking my girlfriend, I was like, do you think I have a persona? And she's like, not in the sense of how maybe people are saying it. It is you, but it's amped up. That's really all it is. I was going to ask you who your biggest influences are, but I think (laughs) I know you well enough at this point. So I'm just going to guess who your biggest influences are. And you can let me know if I'm right or wrong. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm going to name 10. Okay. Nice, so I'll start- 10. Okay. This is good. <laughs> I, was thinking, I thought you were going to say five or three, but 10. No, no. I'm going to name. Oh, okay. I want to see where you go with this. Okay. Okay. So let's start with the OGs. Big Daddy K. Yeah. yeah Big Al. Big Al. See, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Let me keep going. Cool G Rap. Yeah, absolutely. Kumal D. Okay. So Kumal D, I'm familiar with him. I, I didn't experience all of this music as it was happening, but okay. I think he influenced a lot of my influences. So indirectly, I would indirectly. say that yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, okay, let's keep going. Master Ace. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, Tupac. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, those are the OG. I've got five more, okay? Like okay. more contemporary modern. Okay, Eminem, yeah. number one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. sure. Uh, Royce the Five Nine. Yeah. Lupe Fiasco. Absolutely. And then I've got two, MC Juice and MC Jin. In the morning and the party still jumping because my mama ain't home. 
Juice, definitely for freestyling. Jin, for freestyling as well. Mm-hmm. I liked his music. I thought he was like marketed incorrectly, but he definitely, yeah, impact, yeah, for sure. Y'all gonna learn Chinese when the pumps come out. Y'all gonna speak Chinese. So how close was I? <laughs> no, that, that's it. You got all of them. Like, like, Did all I miss anyone? Like, Sticky Fingers is one, but I don't know oh. how many people would guess that. Who else would I, would I say? Nipsey Hussle, more on the business side. Yeah. Definitely music, though. You make great music. You got Biggie, Pac, Big L, of course. That's for sure. Okay, on to the next round. Hip-hop originated from African-American and Latino-American communities. So as a Canadian rapper, have you ever faced any sort of challenges or barriers in the industry that your American counterparts may not have? No, I wouldn't say, because again, it goes back to the confidence thing. I performed in the States and I've definitely had ciphers in the States. Mm -hmm. And I went in it with the mentality of respect everybody here or whatever, but I'm standing out right now. I think when you go in it with that level of confidence and yeah. that like high self-esteem, I think you get respect. That's just the mentality I have with that stuff. No, that yeah. is fantastic. And the reason I bring it up is not even because hip hop is more mainstream in America, but because historically that's where it had its roots. So now mm-hmm. I recognize that not all my listeners are hip hop fans, but hip hop yes. actually inherits a long and complicated political history in the United States. So hip hop emerged as a dialogue between African-American and Latino American communities in the 1970s and 80s that told yes. stories of inequality, oppression, police brutality, life in the hood. But simultaneously, hip hop was also deep rooted in empowerment. Back in the days, the four expressions of hip-hop were emceeing, DJing, b-boying, and graffiti. Yes. So you being an MC yourself, can you give mm-hmm. us a brief history of hip-hop and the fundamental pillars of hip-hop? Yeah. So for people that don't know, hip-hop started in the Bronx in the late 70s. Uh, DJ Cool Herc, his name rhymes with yeah. schoolwork. So that means do your homework. <laughs> that didn't rhyme, but do your homework. It's the word, play on words. Um, DJ Cool Herc was a DJ from, I believe, Jamaica and he came to the Bronx and he would host a lot of parties and everything at that time disco was really big disco was the music yeah, disco and funk yeah so yeah so a lot of the youth of that time in those inner cities especially the Bronx and stuff they didn't relate to disco and you have a young DJ who hurt he's playing these records and that became their life these kids would go to these parties and you know everyone was having a good time i think it also yeah. helped the violence go down because people weren't trying to kill each other they just wanted exactly. to have fun exactly so yeah mm-hmm. yeah so in the beginning a lot of people thought it would be a fad and funny enough er- the early stages of hip-hop in terms of the mcs so the rappers there's a years where rappers weren't even recording they're just like no this is not what this is about this is us expressing ourselves we're not recording it so a cypher is basically any number of rappers in a circle and they're just trading verses going around in a circle hence the cypher it's just not a thing that takes place anymore i think just the internet i think a lot of other aspects got involved that took away that element of ciphering and freestyling i think hip-hop is seen in a certain way now that it wasn't seen before. So like in these earlier stages, going back to that, you know, you had, like you said, breakdancing, graffiti artists, ciphering. Yeah, very communal activities. <laughs> exactly. And in the earlier stages, the MC wasn't always rapping and just trying to be the best. The MC was just trying to get the party started. So yeah, speak, you know? and then, ceremonies. <laughs> yeah, so they would basically shout out DJs. Oh, hey, check out my DJ or whatever. And it was more about the DJ. Once hip hop started to evolve a little bit and the MC started to be like, oh, wow, the attention's on me a little bit. I think people start to more tell their stories and talk about their environment and everything like that. So segueing into when stuff was getting more recorded, the first hip hop mainstream hit was Rapper's Delight by the Sugar Hill Gang. So the story goes, there was one rapper, I think his name was Hank something, I can't fully remember that, but 
you guys can Google that and get your history. So he was at a pizzeria working and he was reciting rhymes from Grandmaster Kaz, who was a real serious rapper. He wrote his rhymes and he was just reciting Kaz's rhymes. And a lady walks in and she was like, oh, I'm making a rap group. I work for this label and I want you to be in my group. So ironically enough, although hip hop is founded on write your own rhymes, don't bite. The verse that is used in there is a bitten rhyme. It was written by Grandmaster Kaz and it wasn't written by Hank. And that was a controversy early on. So what happens is, although it was a big hip hop hit and people were like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. The purists didn't like it. So guys like Melly Melly, they did not like that song. Mm -hmm. They're like, this is ridiculous. What the hell is this? They're butchering our art form. And they went and made a song called The Message that was more speaking towards the inner city violence and all that stuff. So I think hip hop came a long way. And in the beginning stages, no one thought it would last. If I'm not mistaken, hip hop's probably the biggest genre in the world right now. You know, it's one of those things where it has a rich history, but there's always going to be, I think, people that don't understand it because they just look at it as music. So tell us about some key figures in hip hop that define the movement. Okay, so you can go from various eras. So you have guys like Grandmaster Kaz, a very respected MC, yep. moving from that NWA for the yep. West Coast, Ice-T before NWA, because Ice-T and Schooly D, I believe, were the first West Coast gangster yep. rappers, right? Yep. Then you segue into guys um, like LL Cool J, yep. one of the first superstars, Run DMC. Yeah, like, you know, these guys innovated and everything like that. And then in the 90s, Yiggy and Tupac, Wu-Tang, not only Wu-Tang as a group, but individually as well. ODB, totally. Method Man, all those guys. You have Red Man, you have Big Daddy Kane in the 80s, yep. Rock Him in the 80s as well, because he innovated rhyme in terms of flow and different things like that. So every era has had premier MCs to get it to where it is today. A lot of people would say the golden era was the 80s. And yeah. I know that hip hop has been traditionally a very male dominated industry, but I just want to name drop a couple of yeah, definitive sure, sure. female MCs. So yeah. Lauren Hill, Queen Latifah, yeah. also Foxy Brown, Lil Kim. These are like female MCs that really gave hip hop a feminist tinge because they spoke of a different narrative and struggle. Women in the hood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who actually is probably the predecessor to that. Roxanne Shantae. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. So she was like so legendary because she battled everybody, <laughs> guys included. Like she, she came at like Karis one. She had a song. It might've been a freestyle. I'm not sure of the actual yeah. title, but some people took offense to it and they dissed her and she dissed them. And then other people came out and there was like, it was a phenomenon. The Roxanne Shantae, just all out war, whatever. Everyone is dissing everybody. She really is definitely a pioneer. I don't think she's mentioned enough. There's even another oh. female MC, Heather B. She is sick. Again, that didn't necessarily get mainstream, but it, again, another female MC who made a mark in the culture. Absolutely. There's also MC yes. Light, which I forgot to mention, but yes. Um, yes. there were a couple. And funny enough, some of them also like did crossovers with R&B and kind of helped yeah. shape the other movement around it. And just on top of that, I think especially in modern days, like a lot of people perceive hip hop as this form of violence, promoting gangs and misogyny, but actually the fundamental principles in hip hop were peace, love, unity, and having fun. So yeah. it was really a, a movement rooted in empowerment, as I spoke about, not so much yeah. about violence and misogyny, no, no. but that is not to deny that there were definitely lyrics that talked about misogyny and oppression, but these were just manifestations of the struggles yeah. of the people that were going through at the time. Yeah. To add to your points, I think why hip hop got in like the violent space, I think once people started seeing that you could get money from this, a lot of like street affiliated people, they were like, oh, we don't have to do illegal stuff to get paid. We can get paid through hip hop, but yeah. they're still coming in with that lifestyle and those values. And I think totally. that's where 
a lot of rappers are not thugs, but when you affiliate and connect with those guys, these dealers and different things, it's like, we're going to get a level of fame connecting with this rapper, but you're going to get protection. It's such a weird thing that happens in hip hop. And I think that's where the violent stuff happened. As we all know, Tupac was known for promoting this slogan called Thug Life. Yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is that he's actually the son of Fanny Shakur, an activist in the Black Panther Party. And growing up, actually Tupac, he was a community builder, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So can you talk about how this whole Thug Life image evolved? So a lot of people don't know that Thug Life stood for the hate you gave little infants, Fs everyone. That was an acronym that he created. It wasn't thugs in the sense of, I'm going to beat you down or anything like that. He tried to bring power to that by saying, look, I come from the bottom just like a lot of other people. And I made it out of that. I made something of myself. Yeah. That like, that's what makes me a thug. So he felt he just wanted to empower that and not look at it as a, a bad thing. But again, people see things at face value. So it wasn't that he was trying to be violent or anything. Right. Now, he went through a lot of controversy, court cases, and that does something to somebody who's, at the time, he died at, what, 24, Five. 25? Yeah, 25, yeah. Now. So he dies at 25, but at 19, 20 years old, he has the world in his hands, mm -hmm. and the spotlight is on him, and he's dealing with so many things that he's learning how to yeah. figure out. Like, a lot of people can say what they want, but in that situation, even if they had a modicum of that fame, they would fall to that. They would crumble. They would not deal with that. So right. he, again, getting into legal situations and he was around certain people that he self-admitted he shouldn't have been around. And things happened. He went to jail and then he's pretty much broke. His label at the time was like, you know what? We're washing our hands of it. We're not going to get involved with this. So you have the hottest rapper. And while he's in jail, he has a number one album. And people are saying, oh, how is he broke then? It's so bad contracts and stuff. But He's in this bad situation. So yeah. Knight, one of the biggest entrepreneurs in hip hop comes in and says, look, I'll get you out of jail, but you got to sign with Death Row. Now, Death Row Records was very much involved with street guys. And it's, it's this, this, yeah. a lot of these guys who have like gang members, Bloods and yeah. Crips working yeah. in the same building. So yeah. you have Tupac, who's an artist who that just wants to do his music, but yeah. he's now in the parameters of gangster rap. Right. And these guys with these certain lifestyles. So I don't think by any means was Tupac a punk or anything like that. But a lot of times when you're in an environment and people are a certain way, it's very difficult for people to not segue into what everyone else is doing. You see it in life. And so I don't fault him for getting involved in things and being with that label, because is he just going to stand on the sidelines? Especially right. when the guy who runs it got him out of jail. You know what totally. I mean? There's a loyalty yeah. to stuff like that. So I think... As well, the media blew it up. And if you want to get into the situation with him and Biggie, I think it was a misunderstanding in terms of the shooting totally. and stuff. But at the end of the day, nobody can tell or could have told Tupac what was going on in his head and what happened to him. He did what he felt was right. Absolutely. And the funny thing, you mentioned that. So um, in a 1994 interview that Tupac did with Ed Gordon, he actually mentioned like, if you think I'm a misogynist, then you're not really listening to my music because I wrote Absolutely. songs like Keep Your Head Up and Brenda's Got a Baby. Like these are songs that talk about issues in the community and also like women empowerment. So yeah, yeah. we got to not take things at face value because yes, no, he course. does think about like thug and thug life and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But he also has these other, he has this like very sensitive side of him where he sings yeah. about issues in the community and how he's trying to help. Yeah, I heard DJ Premier say this. A lot of people don't know how to listen to hip hop. You mm -hmm. can't just look at, oh, this guy said, shoot, shoot, kill. But he <laughs> just said, hey, 
I've taken care of my mom. These guys just broke into my house and this exactly. is my experience. You know, right. people just exactly. shoot and kill. That's, and that's right. what they go with. And I think that's what gives hip hop a, a little bit of a bad rap. Which is why on my podcast, I really want to talk about the historical context mm-hmm. under which hip hop evolved. So as we talked about peace, love, unity, and having fun are sort of like the cornerstone of hip hop. So how do you yeah. embody these principles, especially peace through your work as a rapper? I, I like that we're getting into this because I love this part. <laughs> I'm at peace with myself, right? First and foremost, you can remove hip hop from the conversation for a second. Like I think yeah. a lot of people are not at peace with themselves. They don't know themselves. They don't understand what they like, what they don't like, what their boundaries are. So for me, before all of this, I'm always at peace with like myself and what I want to do. If I don't want to do something, I'm not going to do it. Right. If I don't feel comfortable writing something, I'm not going to do it. If I did a song and someone said, hey, can you change this lyric to say this ill shit about this person? I'd be like, no. There are some people that would do that though, right? Yeah. And again, if you have your morals and you know what you're about, you're not going to do that. So for me, right. how I've found peace is just by being me mm-hmm. and unapologetically being me. And I stick to that. Whereas some people, I think they're not at peace because they don't have those principles aligned with themselves and they don't know themselves. That's like a key point to it. I took my twenties and teens to learn myself. Even if it was unconscious, I was learning, okay, you like doing this. This is what you're cool with. You're not cool with this. So why would you involve yourself with this? Like it's only going to create a headache if you don't know yourself. And if you don't have that peace, me having that peace allows me to just do things the way I want. And then again, have peace within my music. And that's like how I project that, so to speak. I love that. And especially one thing I noticed about you is that you don't succumb to the pressure of fame or prestige or any of those traditional labels that you have for a rapper. And you chose to stay an independent artist for the past 19 years. So can you expand on that decision? I'll be totally transparent with people. I'm not sitting here saying I've always wanted that. Yes, when I was 17 years old and Mm -hmm. an impressionable teen, I did see things on TV and my favorite rappers were famous and I don't know the business. So you're like, oh, wow, I'm rapping. I want that. Yeah. But then over the years, I started to notice something. And that's if you feel like you're the best and your skills speak to being the best, you don't always get the opportunity to be in the limelight. Correct. But then you realize, though, that the ones in the limelight aren't always the most talented. And I'll give you an example. This is outside of hip hop, but it still deals with music because I listen to everything. So you take that rivalry with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. I don't think they really hated each other, but there was always that thing because they both came from the Mickey Mouse Club and different things like that. Now, no disrespect to Britney Spears, but as a singer, in terms of vocal tone and in terms of technique and everything, she's not as good as Christina Aguilera. Mm. But Britney is a worldwide phenomenon. Now the average human, they look at things and they say, I want that. I don't care if I'm not as good. I'm making the money. Mm. But to me, that doesn't mean shit. Can I curse, by the way? Is that okay? Is like if I, yeah, it's okay. So like, I'm I'm a hardcore rapper. I say fuck all the time on my own podcast. So so here's the thing, right? For me, I've always felt if you're not there, but you are skillful, that's okay. Mm. As I evolved and I navigated through it, I would notice that I would get a lot of respect and it wouldn't translate into fame, but I don't care because I'm getting this respect, you know? And a lot of people say, well, respect can't pay your bills or whatever. Again, if you're looking for something to pay your bills, you do a job. It's that simple, right? And people, then they'll flip it and say, if you have a career, you should be doing that. But what are your reasons for doing something? Mm -hmm. There are people out there, they can work whatever job and they come home and they paint and they're happy. They're like, this is what I do. 
But then you have people who maybe are in the circles that say to them, you should be bigger. And that, again, that's one of those things where I'm at peace with myself. But if people throw that at me, I always know how to combat that. If someone says, hey, you should be bigger, they don't realize what they're saying is your marketing dollars should be bigger. They don't understand that though, because people only believe what they see. Here's an example. The team that was on Dr. Phil, right? Danielle Gregoli. She was this girl that she was just going wild on her mom. She was cursing out her family members. She went viral. Oh. She has a rap career. Legit. She has a rap career. She made music and everything. Now, any circles I've been in, mm -hmm. she's not going to get respect as a lyricist. She has money. But for me, respect has always been a thing for me. I grew up on that. The same way I'm trying to say, don't convince me about money. I don't care. I can't tell somebody to not care about that. Yeah. And I've realized that. But that's how I really navigated through the industry and not cared about mainstream success or anything like that. I just do what I love. Absolutely. And what I really like about that is that you prioritize self-respect and self-validation over anything else. You're like, if I don't love the artwork that I am creating, then there is no value in it. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I make a song or I do a verse, I have to like it first. And when I like something, I'm like, yo, this is amazing. I know how I wrote this, where I was at, and I know exactly. the energy behind it. Right. And if somebody says, yo, this is great, that's a plus. That's cool. Great. But I started this for me. There's a lot of people that got into whatever they're doing because they saw somebody else do it that they thought it was cool. Yeah, I was inspired by artists and rappers. But when I wrote my first rhyme, I said, man, I wonder what it would be like if I wrote a rhyme. It wasn't you know what? My friend over here is writing Ryan. Let me do that. But it was never that. It was, I'm doing this for me. The success that I've had, I got there by being me and standing on what my principles were. So that was real success to me. I don't care about mainstream success when it comes at the expense of your soul or your morals. So if I just do this, this is a glass ceiling, but I did it off of respect. And if they say to break that glass ceiling, you got to go against your morals. I'm good. Mm -hmm. There's a quote, right? We become what we think about and the person who's doing what they're doing is successful. So the person out there who is a maintenance worker and they're doing that because they want to do it, they're successful. Correct. That's just what it is. I totally agree with you. We have such a distorted view of what success is and most people equate yeah. it with fame and prestige. But like you said, if you're doing what you want it to do, then you've already succeeded. You don't need to look yeah. for further validation. Absolutely. To me, like your music is just as good as any other rappers out there. And, and you that. said this Thank to you. me, like my podcast is just yeah. as big as Joe Rogan or any yeah. other. <laughs> but that's how you have to look at it. Because once you start getting in your head yeah. of, oh, I don't think it's as good, or I don't think that I'm doing this on this level, then that's your perception. You know, if you sat there and said, well, make peace, not beef is, it's not Joe Rogan or anything like that. Yeah. You're dismissing your creativity and your fan. art and just your overall personality, who you are. But again, we live in a world, like if you look at Instagram and different things, you see all these things, desires or whatever that people have. And mm -hmm. a lot of people get drawn into that. And they're like, I want that. But is that even what you really want to do? I, I know people that would look at something else, another career field that they never cared to do. But this person's doing well in that field. It's like, I want that. It's like, well, you don't do that. Why don't you just do what you do and expand on that. And then you'll be successful at what you do. So how many times have you thought about quitting? I definitely have felt like I wanted to quit a couple of times. Three comes to mind, like in my whole 19 year career. Wow. Three. The first time I was really young, I went and did a show. I didn't practice enough. So I messed up and I was like, oh, I hate this. And it's like, you didn't practice. Yeah. So that's what it was. Exactly. So I, I corrected that mistake. And when I perform, I practice now like more, right? So I, I'm prepared and ready to go. The second time, there was a bit of frustration at maybe getting 
I don't want to say notice again in terms of fame, but more people involved in hip hop culture in the underground, maybe opening a door for me or like giving me an opportunity. And then I came to the grips with that. I said, you know what? You love hip hop, do that. And that's it. Who cares if this person doesn't care about it? It doesn't matter. You started doing this for you anyways, and you got further than you imagined anyway. You've already won. One big motivator for me was people saying I couldn't do it. That was just a big motivator for me. If people think of you that low, you can do the smallest thing and they'll be like wowed by it. You know? That's right. Then the third time was I had some business I was doing with the DJ. We were trying to get the thing together. And this motherfucker went on vacation midway through our project. And I'm sitting there trying to get in contact with him. And I was frustrated, but I realized the music business is a lot of hurry up and wait. So once I come to grips with these things, I'm like, okay, you know what? That's how this goes. I can accept that. If I don't like what's going on, find another alternative in term in the business. So this DJ is taking long, try to find a positive out of it. If it bothers you that much, don't go to him or address it. And it's that simple. So yeah, those are the times that I definitely felt like, ah, I'm done with this shit. But you didn't quit. And at the end of the day, you're still going strong. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But but that's the thing too. You have to come to the realization that you're not in control of something and you should stop trying to control those things. Correct. Let's take an example here, right? Say you are a DJ and I'm like, Hey, Lily, here's my music. I submit it. You see the email, but you don't respond. I'm no longer in control. I sent the email. So I have to go and, you know, work elsewhere, do what I got to do. I think a lot of people in the business don't understand that. And they try to control what they can't control. Mm. And then it really messes with them. I know, trust me, a lot of rappers that quit a lot. And I sat back and I said, why did they quit? And it was because of a lack of understanding for things. You're going to go through the music business. It's crazy to think that these things won't happen mm-hmm. because you're, it's, it's always an uphill battle, but you have to know what you're willing to fight yeah, against. Fight you against know, me. like some people say, you know what, I'm not getting any validation. What's the point? But again, you need validation. I don't. My engineer, as an example, I'll give him a song and we'll be working on it. He'll be editing. I'll hear something in the song, maybe a bad edit or something. I'll be like, hey, man, can you? uh?" And he's like, dude, I got to tell you, no one's going to hear this stuff. And he's like, you know what? I realized that you listen to it as a fan and more than anybody else in terms of caring about a mistake that drive you crazy. And that's the real thing, right? I do it for me, you know, so. Yeah. Absolutely. What is your biggest fear of quitting? Like you told me this other time that there was this fear, which is the reason why you still haven't quit. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear of quitting is I can't live with myself or look myself in the mirror if I did that. And it comes from a childhood thing of somebody being like, I knew you would quit. (laughs) I I think that motivates me. There's that. But there's also like, if I quit, I go away. Someone comes out and they're the enemy. I've seen this happen to other people, by the way, like other artists who their name got stolen and then someone else is doing it. But Mm. they're not as good as you, but they just don't quit. They just went for it. So for me, I was like, no, I can't live with myself. Some people have fears of trying and they're like, oh man, I'm scared to try because of judgment and whatever. For me, it's quitting because I can't look at myself in the mirror. I'm a person that if I'm in a debate with somebody and I don't say what's on my mind, I go home and I feel like I let myself down. So that's why I always say whether right or wrong, I'm like, look, I'm saying my opinion. That's what it is. That's what I'm standing on. I could be in a room with 10 people that disagree with me. If I believe in what my thoughts are, those are my thoughts. It's that Mm -hmm. simple. 
Mm-hmm. And again, my advice for anybody that's seeing this is know yourself, but stand on what you believe in. And I believe in myself so much. That's what scares me in terms of, oh my God, if you let this go, somebody that's not as talented is going to come along and do what you were doing, not as great. And then they're going to get that. And it's like, look, dude, you could have kept going. And so that for me is a huge fear. Like that's, but it's a motivator though. I've come in contact with people that a little bit of fear gets them terrified to where they don't try. And for me, I'm just like, look, I'm not scared of going after my dreams. Look, I'm scared of crocodiles more than like chasing a dream. You chasing a dream is not threatening. I love how that for most people, it's the fear of trying for you is the fear of quitting. That's why you have to quit. (laughs) For them, it's the fear of trying. That's why they haven't started. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing. Earlier on in life, people tried to deter me. Friends that were close to me, Mm. certain family. I think it was more oh man, I don't know if this is like going to work out or whatever. And that's the thing they try to project, right? Is it because you dropped out of school? Yeah. So dropping out of school, I think people look at it and I'll be the first to admit, this is high school, like grade 11. Like I'm like, I'm out of here. I know I want to do music. I'm out. Peace out. So I go first day, no school. I'm like, okay, I feel free. Funny enough. The first thing I do, I go to the library. I'm like, I'm going to the library. And I'm just going to read any book I want because I don't have to read this book that I'm being told to read. So I went in, I think I read the uh, Kirk Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana. I read his like diary. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Like just anything I wanted because I was like, look, I got to improve my vocabulary. So I should read. But again, I have friends that went through school until they theoretically would stop by society standards. So when, because I don't know, like you can tell me, when would a person stop to go into the workforce? At what age would it be? 21, 22? 22, maybe. That's when they would work at the office. Yeah. Okay. So when you look at it at 17, I'm in the real world seeing how things actually operate. What I realized was there are no parameters to stay within when you're, Mm -hmm. you move into the real world, right? You don't have to go and say, I'm going to go to this job or I'm going to apply for this job. You can say, I'm going to work on my craft. I'm going to apply for this to fund my craft. I'm going to save up my money. And you know what? I don't feel like going to the club. I don't feel like buying designer gear because this money is going to my career. But here's the thing. School never taught me that. No disrespect to anybody that goes to school and Mm -hmm. disagrees with me. This is like my experience. I learned things outside in the real world that I would have never learned in school. I have friends that graduated with honors that are surprised when I tell them things. And I'm like, dude, you went to school. How do you not know this? Yeah. But then I step back and I'm like, how the school system is, they teach everyone the same way. Some people learn by seeing things, by writing it down. Everyone learns differently. Where I made it to, I looked and I said, I couldn't have learned this in school. I didn't learn marketing in school. This is me trial and error. When I decide to promote myself, these are just things I see in documentaries and not just hip hop documentaries. You see it in life, right? Yeah. When the bank, BMO, when there's a new deal that they have at their bank or a new checking account or something, they make commercials for it. That's how they get people to see it. Pizza Pizza has a new pizza and that's marketing. It's all around you. So for me, I said, I'm going to apply that to what I'm doing, visibility. And that's how I learned that. But Again, the school thing, because I had friends around me, good friends to this day that I'm still friends with, that they were one of the first people to call me. And they said, look, dude, it's not a good idea because it's it's just not good. But they didn't see what I saw. Like, mm, I have right. that confidence in myself. Nothing that I do and no success that I get is a fluke. I always had that vision in my head and I went for it. There was no fear. I mentally prepare myself 
to go against anybody that's doubting. So Roger, you've been going at it like rap 19 years. And I know so many people who would have dropped out of the race all along the way. And you personally know many, right? So what sustains your passion and what keeps it going strong after so many years? And how do you build that level of mental resilience and that mental stamina to still love what you do? For me, I'm a person that I love repetition. I can eat the same food for like weeks, right? So with music, I love that so much. I just want to do more of it. And I do believe that I have a very strong mentality. And I think a lot of people, it is the fear of the unknown. You're seeing it with the pandemic right now. Really what's getting people freaked out is not knowing where we're going with this. There's a break in their lifestyle and they don't know how to come out of that. And in my opinion, when you have one negative thought, it spirals into something else. My method as well is find a positive right? A friend of mine asked me one time, what's the positive in if you get in a car accident? I'm like, you're not dead. Whatever happens, I try to find a positive really quickly. So that's just my method. And that's what I would advise people to do if they're going through something. I love that. And that just reminded me of two things. I think it's you that sent me that quote by Jay-Z that said like the difference between success and failure is repetition. But Mm. even if you're repeating yourself every day, you're reinventing the game every day. Like you can never repeat two things the exact same way. So every time you do it, it's different and you're up in your own game. So you're always competing with yourself, which is what I love. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I don't care to compete with other people because I've always found that when people say competition, It's not a real competition. Let's say I do a podcast and it's about something else like racial inequality and yours is about climate change and everything like that. And people put us against each other. It's unfair to both of us because if we're talking about different things, what's the competition? That's right. I'm just competing with myself because in my world, there is nobody else. You're really against yourself Mm -hmm. in all situations. And what I mean by that is A lot of people don't realize that they're against their perception of themselves. So Mm. if you see an obstacle, let me ask you, for whatever reason, if a guest canceled on your podcast, what's your first thought to yourself? Why they canceled? Like, Okay, Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't let the podcast go down because of that. No, no, I'll find another guest. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? But some people would look and they'd say, oh, this person canceled, oh, that's probably not good enough, especially if they were depending uh, on it. You right. see what I'm saying? But that's their perception. The minute you say off on somebody else, your yeah. perception is, oh, okay, space for somebody else. That's what I mean by that. And mm. I find when I explain that to people, some people get it, but some people due to like conditioning over the years, negative conditioning, they would never understand it. And I, and I absolutely love your confidence and assertiveness. It's really inspiring and it's very mm-hmm. infectious as well. So now I want to take the conversation one step further to touch on the broader issues in the world, because I think a lot of people take hip hop, especially the younger generation nowadays, without understanding the historical context, they take it at face value and they think this mm-hmm. hip hop is about, I don't know, bragging about wealth and women and all that stuff, but they don't understand that hip hop is deeply rooted in activism in many ways, right? As I said earlier, hip hop evolved between marginalized communities that shed light on political struggles and untold mm-hmm. stories in the mainstream media. So in a way, hip hop is a form of independent journalism that's how yes. I see it. and even ice cube said this in straight out of compton the movie he said i am a journalist just like you reporting what's going on in the hood but since the 1980s the world has evolved and we're now facing different issues in the world today like racial injustice is still there but it has taken on a different form but now with social media everything is magnified and on top of you know racial inequality which is 
predominantly experienced by, I would say, African-American communities and other minorities as well. On top Absolutely. of that, we're also experiencing some universal challenges, such as you know, climate change. So we're combating all these different issues. Roderick, like, what's your take on that in terms of hip-hop and activism and how they intersect and how, as an artist, you can use that power to shape the world around you? I think when artists have a certain platform, they feel a responsibility. But you got guys like Killer Mike, who's definitely yeah. involved in activism and everything like that. I think he would no problem put activism over being a skillful rapper, I which he so. is skillful, but just like he cares about his community and different things like that. Guys like Chuck D. Karras, when, when NWA talked about F the police and all that shit, I think a year or two later, Rodney King, he faced like the beatdown by the police officers exactly. and there were the LA riots and everything. So what happened was, Everyone then looked at NWA as, oh, oh my God, you actually predicted this. And he's like, we've been. He's like, they're like, we've been telling you this was going on, but you guys exactly. weren't listening. So that's the thing. I feel like maybe, and again, I'm not saying that I agree with this or believe in this, but I think sometimes with music, people use it for an escape. So some of those issues, you're not escaping anything. If you're dealing with it and you listen to a song and then it's talking about it. That's why I think psychologically, some people are like, oh, I don't want to hear a conscious rapper. Right. So like conscious rappers, you would look at guys like Common, Most Def, Talib Kweli. Yeah, yeah, a black star, yeah, Lupe. Yeah, so Lupe, exactly. So conscious rap is definitely like things that are built around the community. It's talking about struggle. Even you know, Tupac, I would say. Absolutely. Like in the 90s, in the early yeah. 90s, when he came out, definitely socially conscious and everything like that. Right. And I think that's always been a thing, but it's just not promoted. And mm -hmm. you can't blame rappers that, are in the mainstream that, that they're not talking about it, but that's being promoted. Like there are artists that speak about it. Lupe's one, one of my favorites. He definitely speaks about stuff like that, but that content is not popular. It does not resonate in the club. So it gets pushed to the back. I think when artists have a platform and when these things are happening, I do feel like it should be addressed, but I also feel like we should pay attention to who you expect to address it and totally. understand that if it's this guy that's only talking about lean and jewelry or whatever, don't look for that from him or her because that's not what's projected in the mainstream. But I right. think it's important. But the thing is, like back in the 1980s, I, I think conscious rappers were part of the mainstream, but now they're being crowded out by, because I'm not that, saying other rappers are bad, like mm -hmm. the mainstream ones, but back because then, like that, most F of Talib Kweli that you talked about, I wouldn't say they were fringe rappers. They were very big in the scene, right? Talib no, Kweli yeah. was a household name, probably. Yeah. But what happened was the reason why that worked and who is it? Young Guru, who's Jay-Z's engineer. He's like, that's what was, that was big because that's what was selling at the time. Uh, you see so no disrespect. Those guys weren't doing it to sell. They were just like, this is what's going on in our community. Let's talk about it. But the labels were like, oh, public enemy. And anyway, these people right, right, are exactly. screaming, fight the power as well. All right, let's put money behind it. The minute that Start, people start saying, I don't care about that. I just want to dance and whatever. The labels are like, okay, we're going to promote that. Like, you can't look towards a mainstream label major artist and expect them to do the things that are good for the community, so to speak. Look to the people like Killer Mike, like Chuck D, like KRS One, who not only are doing music, but they're going out there and speaking and they're actually in the movement working on that stuff. So, exactly. It's just but where you look. But the, but the youth today, like like you said, they will listen to whatever is on mainstream or top 10 charts yeah. of Spotify. I'm not saying those artists aren't good. Like, they are good in their own right. But yeah, yeah. 
the reason why I brought this up was because the other day I was on a clubhouse call and, and okay. Lupe was there, Royce the Five Nine was there, Ninth Wonder, you know, he was a yeah. huge hip hop producer was there and some Absolutely. of the other OGs. And they were talking about, the topic was, you know, is hip hop destroying the black community? But then came this journalist, I think she was Sudanese, but born and raised in the UK, but she was talking about how hip hop has literally become the biggest genre in the world. And he's, she was saying that as an artist, they almost owe a certain responsibility to now shape the culture, not the culture around it, but the messaging, because it is so powerful. It's reaching corners of the world that the artists themselves don't even know that they're mm-hmm. reaching those people. So they were having a discussion on how the, the messaging in hip hop is extremely impactful on people in different parts of the planet. And now mm-hmm. that we are experiencing all these universal struggles together, like hip hop is a powerful form of storytelling and, and to also inform about these struggles. But no, I agree with you. There's a very personal and creative aspect yeah. to hip hop well, as well. Just to add to that, I want to mm-hmm. add a point. So what you said there is, in, is very interesting. When you said um, this was, was a journalist, you said? Was she was a journalist? That... I, I believe, or she was like a, like a music journalist, I believe. Okay, so mm-hmm. she said there, she's like, they owe it to us to speak about that. I, I me personally would look at that and say, okay, so who owes it to us? The labels or the artists on those labels? These artists are not in control the way people think. Mm-hmm. They're a product that is pushed out that said, okay, this is the content. You came in saying this, you're saying this and go out and sell that. And that's what's marketed. If tomorrow we wake up and there's a rapper that talks about climate change and all this. (laughs) Well, no, here's the thing. If somebody comes out and says it and it works, the industry shifts to that. That's right. But you can't expect entities to do that. Not to knock her opinion, but I've always felt like when we expect or we feel that somebody should do something. We just have to analyze who we're asking to do that. I think she was just, the reason why she brought it up in that platform was because those rappers in the group, like Lupe, just happened to be conscious rappers who cared about this issue, which is why she's like, hip hop is a powerful platform. But I agree with you. And it's up to the individual's artist's freedom to sing about whatever they want. But I'm just saying that most people who listen to hip hop nowadays mainstream, they might not know that there are other branches of hip hop yeah, that course, are not course, yeah. singing about women's yeah, money yeah. and all this stuff. And I just want to mention a couple of like rappers who have actually done a lot of activist work just to counter the idea that rappers yes. are all violent. Yeah. And then the, the other surprising thing I learned was that actually Lupe Fiasco and I have a two degree of separation That's because... Amazing. I, I did not know this, but I interviewed the founder of Zero Mass Water, which is this water tech startup that Lupe happened to be a business partner of. And then I think Lupe Fiasco is the only rapper that I've listened to him talk more than I've listened to him rap. Like That's I watched all his presentations yeah, he's, he's, on he's, YouTube. He's like very intelligent. He's very intelligent. He's extremely, yeah. and he, he's also very skilled in martial arts. Now he has a fantastic podcast with Royce yeah. Five Nine. But yeah, and these are all these artists who are not only creating amazing music, but also doing mm-hmm. so much amazing work. So I guess as a rapper, this may or may not apply to you, but how do you intend to create positive social impact through your work, perhaps in the future, such that you can empower others through your storytelling? And if that doesn't apply, then what legacy do you want to leave behind for the next generation? Honestly, for me, and this is just not for like people in hip hop or music, I just want people to be confident, not just, oh, I'm confident, praise me, but have it in yourself. It's okay Absolutely. to say that you're great at something. I feel like this this weird energy that if you say you're good at something, and you say it with confidence, people find it weird. And I was like, think about the headspace we're in right now. You say something flattering about yourself, you talk highly about yourself, or you say, I love myself, people are turning their nose up. That to me is insane. I've always felt like that. It is insane. And anybody who thinks that needs to get out of that mindset and change 
you know, change their mindset on things like that. No one's saying be cocky. No one's saying be arrogant. Don't put people down, but do not put yourself down, Correct. Like, you know, at all, ever, under no circumstance. And if people put you down, prove them wrong. I've always said that's a huge motivator for me. So that's what I would want people to remember me for, person that was confident, but also knowing that it's coming from an honest place. If I was being cocky, I would be like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm better than you. It's never that. It's yeah. like, I believe I'm great. You should as well. It's that simple. But again, I can't control how people think. I can't make somebody believe in themselves. If somebody's inspired by that and they believe in themselves, my job's done. Great. But yeah, that's what I want to leave behind. I love, I love everything yeah. you've said. And confidence is not a zero sum game. <laughs> I derive yeah, so yeah. much confidence just by talking to you and seeing how oh, you're okay. confident with yourself. You're making peace with yourself. And I feed off of that energy. You know, it's contagious yeah. in the yeah. best way possible. And I totally agree with you. And I really like how you answered my previous question, honestly, because if this was like some PR stand, you'd be like, oh yeah, I definitely want to create positive impact in the world through like my lyrics, whatever. But I agree with you. Like you, that doesn't have to come across in your music. Yeah, I feel like, Artists sometimes, maybe they feel like they need to lie or they feel like they need to put on or something like that. I'm never doing that. I'm going to be me and I'm going to just say, look, this is what it was. And again, I like with the music you're trying to put out, I would be fake if I said, okay, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to definitely start writing about this or whatever. Here's the thing. If I'm inspired and I hear a line or something in my head and I'm like, you know what? Yo, this is good. And I do it. Yeah, that then it's a, from a natural place. But I'm not going to just force myself to Correct. start making music about, hey, this social change and stuff like that. But I'm always open to conversation and I'm always open to learning about things I might not That's, know. I agree with you. That inspiration has to be organic and it has to be spontaneous for it to be good, to be authentic. If you're forcing yourself to sing or talk about something, then you're not being authentically you. So yeah. I, I have so much respect for you. And especially I have respect for you as well, man. I have a lot of respect for you because I, I like the fact that you went for your goal. Like you were like, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it. You're doing the same. So the respect is mutual. But I just want to say like outside of him being an extremely dedicated and talented artist, Roderick is also just a fantastic friend. And I mentioned this before, but every time just speaking to you, I feel so much more energized and motivated to do whatever it is that I got to do to create oh, positive change in the world or whatever it is. That. So that. it's funny that you say you might not intentionally sing about creating positive impact, but just mm -hmm. by interacting with you, I derive so much positive energy that I feel motivated to create positive impact. So you're like vicariously creating positive impact by inspiring others around you because we all have a caring sphere of influence around mm -hmm. us. Yes, it comes off as that. I'm not like, I don't wake up and say, I'm going to inspire today. I'll be dead serious. With you. I do love having conversation, but one thing that bothers me and I will be totally transparent with this. And it bothers me to the point of sadness. If you want to know two things that make me sad <laughs> is hearing bad edits in my music where I'm like, oh, what? and I got to go keep fixing this. And also people that don't believe in themselves. It hurts me. Like it physically makes me sad because, but yeah. Again, I step back out of myself and I say, you know what, Roderick, you're dealing with somebody that has been conditioned to believe this about themselves. Yes, it makes me sad, but also there's points where it makes me irritated. Like mm. I get irritated when people don't speak highly of themselves. Yes, there are days where you're not feeling motivated. We talked about that the other day, right? It's like, sure. oh, no, it's kind of like unmotivated or whatever. Yeah. And you get a little unmotivated, that happens. But never when, like never in my spots of, being unmotivated, am I not believing in myself ever? And I'm, when I'm going through something, I'm like, look, figure out how to get out of this. Cause if you get out of this one, 
if you're ever unmotivated again, you can use this technique to get exactly. out of it. Exactly. Wow. That's how I'm looking at it. But I'm not sitting there. Oh, I'm not motivated. Like I never say that. I've heard people say that about themselves. Yeah. And it's ridiculous to me. When again, you are what you tell yourself you are. So if you say that you're not good at something, then that's your reality. I don't subscribe to that stuff. So I love it. And this conversation is so honest, which is my favorite part. <laughs> I wish there could be more rappers like the enemy, but then I also wish there wouldn't be because it should be <laughs> one and only. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So Roderick, thank you so much for your time today on the podcast. No, thank you. And thank you. I no, <laughs> thank you. Hey, both ways. Yeah. So for the most important part, our listeners are probably wondering how can I get in touch with him? How can I listen to his music? So spill your social media so, music. Yeah. Social media is the enemy official. So spell D-N-M-E official everywhere, Twitter, Instagram. I have my website, dnmeofficial.com. Sick website. I am like everywhere that you would look and find. You're You're the public enemy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're not gonna, you're not, I'm everywhere. I'm like really active on Instagram, but again, I do pay attention to my Twitter. I don't even think Twitter is really what it used to be, but I still stay active on it. I don't really do, yeah. I don't do the Snapchat or anything. The, the funny thing is Roderick is also on LinkedIn. And when I first yeah. found out you were on LinkedIn, I'm like, what are you doing on LinkedIn? It's Yo, more like people with listen, corporate jobs. I'm everywhere. <laughs> see, here's the thing, right? I'm the guy that if I see something, I'm like, what's going on? I'm creeping in, I'm just looking, I'm like, okay, let me see. Maybe I should get one of these, let me figure this out. Because I've met people on LinkedIn that became connections, right? So I'm always trying to pay attention to that stuff. Because again, we're in an internet era. And I feel like if you're not aware of things, and it passes you by, you're going to miss out on something. Oh, that's there. amazing. And uh, there's also some like amazing freestyles that Roderick did on, on YouTube. Of course, under the name the enemy, not Roderick Anson. Like, yeah. if you were trying to look that up, like, you're you're really like, hey, where's that guy, Roderick? It's <laughs> <laughs> like Roderick freestyle. Tell us, tell the brief, uh, listeners briefly about the freestyles you've done in the past. Yeah, like I went to, uh, when was it, 2019? That was the first time I did a press run in New York, which is great because it's the mecca of hip-hop because i was in the bronx and i smoked the cypher i thought i smoked it and it was amazing and again one of those things that always had a vision of doing that and when it happened i'll be honest with you i I never felt like i I didn't feel that what people say imposter syndrome is that 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 term term that's the term i never felt that i walked in i felt like i belonged there i remember i looked at my girlfriend and i told her i was like i'm gonna smoke this like i was like this is gonna happen right now she didn't believe you did she she no, she did. She was. She knew. Like I, I, I heard a quote. Jimmy Iovine said it. The record executive. He said, "Every place I go into is better because I'm there." And I was like, "Yo, that's sick." Yeah. I was like, "That's so dope." So like, that's what I did when I was at one of the freestyles. I remember telling my girlfriend. I said, "When I was sitting doing the freestyle, I only felt like two people were watching." I said, "My 17 year old self and my dad." I literally just felt like they were they were Aww. watching and they were like. Oh my, my dad's like, you're going to kill this. Don't worry. My 17 year old oh. self's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. You, Oh my God. Like that's, and I looked at that and I was like, that's, that's what I'm saying. I have different mental warfare things that I use to motivate makes myself. me cry because um, no, but it's, but that's people who don't know Roderick's dad passed when he yeah, was, when I was like this, but that's the thing, right? Like I, like, that's just me being authentic. I walked in and it was tense. Like walking in uncomfortable tense and I'm sitting there. Cause as soon as we walked in, there were rappers there and no one said hi to me really. I was like, hey, how's it going? I shook everybody's hand, but no one extended any conversation. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. I came there prepared. Let's do it. That's what I came for, right? So I went in there and after I finished, 
I'm not even lying to you. Like I said, I pictured my dad, my 17 year old self, but I legitimately thought the guy next to me filming had a heart attack because he was like shocked. I was like, and you could see when I look at the footage, I'm like, right here, he caught a stroke. Because that's the thing, I feel, I I went into it believing I was that good, you know, that great. Like I went into it like that. So that's why I tell, like my thing is for people, use things that are motivating. Don't, and compete with yourself. Like my 17 year old self is looking, I always say he's looking at me like, oh my God, what are you going to do next? I can't believe you did this. And I'm like, motherfucker, watch this shit. Like I'm going to kill this. You know what I mean? But that's a psycho way of looking at things to some people. I would tell people that, yeah, believe in themselves and anyone watching this, please don't put yourself down under any circumstance at all. If somebody puts you down, all good. Let it happen. Let them put you down and then work hard to you see come back up. look yeah. on their face. Like, it's just what it is. So yeah, I love that. I, I love it. And it's crazy that you said you did that because I always think of it like that. I always think about my 13-year-old self, 16-year-old self. I'm like, I'm yeah. going to be the woman that you've always wanted to be, that you've yeah. always wanted yeah. to. No, that role model is going to be me. When you said it with your 17, oh, I felt it. I felt it. Yeah. Because no, you've come a long way since then and you now yeah. can prove it to them like this. You yeah. can be this person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, that gave me chills. <laughs> that was really good. I loved it. Thank you so much, Roderick. And, no problem. Uh, no problem. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No, thank you for being on the show. And thank you listeners for tuning in to Make Peace Not Beef. And don't forget to check out the highlight reel. We have some good stuff for you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty, peacemakers. That's the end of our episode on hip hop with rapper The Enemy. I hope you liked it and learned something new. Don't forget to check out the video version of this episode on my YouTube channel, Make Peace Not Beef. Be sure to subscribe, comment, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at MakePeaceNotBeef. I'll see you in the next episode. Peace! To attack without knowing the enemy's strength is foolish. After being warned, to still attack is stupid. People who are that stupid just don't deserve to live. But strangely though, one does find.